Domestic Responsibilities. These are the tasks performed inside a household in order to ensure that the basic needs of its members are met. Things like cooking, cleaning, laundry, and taking care of children or elderly parents. In a two-parent household where both parents work full-time jobs, the division of domestic labor can literally make or break your relationship. According to a 2007 Pew Research poll, sharing household chores was in the top three highest ranking issues associated with a successful marriage, third only to faithfulness and good sex. Here's Eve Rotsky, author of the book Fair Play. It turns out women do two-thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family, regardless of whether we work outside the home. We call it invisible work. And I think that, Sarah, was the term invisible work that had uh, resonated most with me in my reading journey. And it was because there was a modicum of a solution in there. Hi, I'm Sarah, host of the Juna Women podcast and founder of Juna. Our mission here at Juna is to help guide women like you through your trying to conceive pregnancy and motherhood journey. Today's episode is the eighth part of our family planning series, and we're talking all about the little things we do every day that go unnoticed. To help us with this topic, I enlisted my husband, Eric, for a candid conversation on how we divvy things up and author Eve Rodsky, who has crafted a real-world solution for dividing the hundred or so invisible tasks that must get done every day. By the end of this episode, you should have a clear picture of the importance of domestic responsibility and be able to set the everyday of your life up for success. One note, if you're coming to this episode before having kids, that's even better. Put the system in place early and you'll be way ahead of the game. I like hugs. I like kisses, but what I really love is help with the dishes. I've never actually said this to my husband, but damn, it's true. For those that don't know, I've been married to Eric for six years and have two kids with a third on the way. Before kids, I did most of the cooking, cleaning, and laundry. And although we both worked full-time jobs, it never felt especially daunting because it was just the two of us. Two kids later, the tasks have multiplied exponentially and my stress levels have risen to match. Eric is the primary breadwinner in the family right now, so when he came to me with a suggestion that we read Fair Play, I was at first shocked and then delighted. Here's the story of how he discovered the book at Barnes & Noble. There was just a table of, of I, I don't remember who, it might have been like a Reese Witherspoon recommendations, oh, yeah, yeah. and so I was, uh, was going to say perusing, but I, I hate when people use it the wrong way, and I was going <laughs> to use it the wrong way. Uh, I was wandering around Barnes and Noble. No, but I was picking out the books and kind of checking each each one out. And I, uh, relatively unrelated, but I feel like I must defend myself. Is uh, I have a very long commute and I listen to audiobooks, so I check out the what these new books are because I don't like search on Audible and uh, I find new books. But I picked this one up and I read the cover and I wish we had it near us. I should probably go get it. Um, but I read the, the inside flap and it sounded very familiar and I figured that you would appreciate it. Uh, and it is, I recognize that I'm not as proactive in doing a lot of things period. Uh, but I, no, but I, I understand that I respond to accountability and so buying the book is sort of like giving myself accountability to do some of these things. Yes. I think what was happening in our household and what was happening in a lot of households from all of the research that she did is that 
women do all of the conceiving and planning and then delegate the execution. So in essence, we're doing 80% of the work and then the partner is just executing on it and no one's happy because A, no one wants to execute on a plan that isn't theirs and... And well, the execution is never done correctly. To yeah, <laughs> what I think is more important, like I'm, if you just gave me a list of stuff to do, I would actually probably be fine with that. But it doesn't save you as much work as it sounds like it would right. save you. Like right. if you took half the tasks and just said, okay, you're responsible for executing on these, you would still be doing 80% of the work because you would be conceiving and planning 100% of the work. I think that the other part that struck home for me was if you're, and it's the flip side, which is if you're doing all the conceiving and planning, and then you expect your partner to do the conceiving and planning on something, but they've literally never had to do it before. And, and you've never shared kind of how the, how your brain works or how you conceive or plan these things. They're not in a position to actually take on ownership of that T right. task or right. whatever you want to call it. So you're not saving anybody any time by doing the work for them. And you kind of have to break it all back down to zero to divvy it up. And that's what Eve did. She made an Excel spreadsheet of all the things we do that take two or more minutes of quantifiable time, crowdsourced from hundreds of other couples, and then created a solution for implementing a system for domestic harmony. And that's what I started. I started going down the road of applying organizational management what makes a healthy organization to the home and realizing that nobody was treating our home like our most important organization. Nobody, with no respect and rigor. Even my Aunt Marion's Mahjong group has more clearly defined expectations in the home. You don't bring snack twice, she told me, you're out. But what we do is we have decision fatigue. We're figuring things out on the fly. Who's taking this kid here? What doctor's appointment can you go to? Who, why did you leave the sponge in the sink? Who's doing the dishes? It's mind numbing the amount of decisions we're making because we're not treating our home with any respect and rigor. We're not putting any systems in place. And once I realized that, that I could create a system, everything changed. And that is what I've been doing for the past seven years, testing the fair play system, researching, talking to couples. My favorite chapter of the book, Fair Play, is the top 13 mistakes couples make in the fair play fix, watching people play. And the good news is I did all that for your readers, so they don't have to do it for themselves. But there's now a plan. I have a plan for everybody to find out that having it all does not mean doing it all. And that's especially important to people who are about to have kids and they're about to add 40 fair play cards to their deck. There's 100 fair play cards in the fair play card deck because it's a game, a gamified system. When you don't have kids, you have 60. When you have kids, you add 40. 40 additional cards. Your life becomes a lot more grindy, daily grindy. It sure does. Here's a bit of my conversation with Eric about where we are in our implementation of the fair play system and some typical marital bickering. Spoiler alert, we reviewed all the tasks, but when the pandemic hit, our lives and roles shifted. Um, I, we have fully looked at the tasks and all the things that we want to divide, but we haven't actually divided them because... Um, I want to desperately, but we like when we were about to do it, we went into a pandemic and <laughs> life shifted significantly, which is actually almost the best time we should have done it because 
a whole bunch of shit just fell on my plate when pandemic hit. Yeah. But the, <laughs> and- the other conflating factor, if you want to call it that, is <clears throat> one of the reasons why at least I feel like you have to do a lot of the work is I had a, I had a very long commute. Mm-hmm. So I had to leave early and I wasn't home till late. And, you know, I, I, it would probably be a flip of a coin as to whether or not I would see the kids before bed during mm-hmm. the week. But now I'm working from home and it's totally different. It's a totally different sort of potential to share these tasks and responsibilities. Yes, which is why we need to do that even more so now. <laughs> the do idea, we? Do oh. we? <laughs> um, the other thing that I really liked about um, about the book was that she has this thing called the like minimum. I mean, now I'm blanking on what it was, but it's like the minimum acceptable, like minimum standard essentially. So like Eric and I definitely have different standards of what needs to happen, like how often the garbage needs to go out or um, if the dishwasher needs to be run at night. And I found myself every morning coming down and being like, did you run the dishwasher? And he was like, did the dishwasher need to be run? And I was like, well, if we want clean plates for this morning yeah, and our dishwasher runs for like nine hours. So it's like a, an especially like a big miss if you don't get it the, during yeah. the night. Yeah, that's a big, yeah. Um, and so within this, when you divvy up the cards of each task, you, you kind of, each card has a, a minimum acceptable criteria of how this job is to be done. And I think for Eric and I, that will be really helpful in defining because we just have different, I mean, and not that mine is right or yours is wrong, but like, if I'm going to be unhappy with the way that you do the job, then what's the point, right? If you're unhappy, then it's wrong, though. So it's like, exactly. it is about right or wrong <laughs> in your head. Right. Like, well, is there anything that you, I'm trying to think of what is something that I do that annoys you? Oh, look, you have one right off. He's very ready to go. No, I'm not at all. Wait, but I don't feel like you finished the question. Oh, like, what is what something is, that annoys like, me? So like, I, I can like very quickly be like, it drives me insane when I see the recycling like piled up and I'm just like, you, you've put something in there. Like you've seen it's full. Just take it out. Yeah. I feel, I feel like I do. I mean, I, I do. Okay. Come but on. obviously your, your definition of full is different than mine. My definition of full. So I like, I hate when you, <laughs> uh, and the, the, this is parallel, but like, when the soy milk is done or whatever <laughs> almond milk is done, you just throw the carton in the back. In the, in the recycling. Yeah. Yeah. It's what are you such a to do? big you gotta flatten that thing. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta flatten it. You just throw it in. Ninety nine percent air. You've literally never said this to me. Oh. <laughs> and then in almost ten years. <laughs> And then you'll you'll like occasionally break down a box. No, I break down boxes all the time. Now. Okay, but here's the thing: <laughs> then then you just at some point you get tired of it, and you just throw a whole box in. <laughs> but it's when the it's when the recycling is thirty percent full, and then we hit Sunday and it gets to be a hundred and ten percent full, and I'm thinking, why is it so full? And I remove two bags and find a giant unbroken down box 
just taken up space. And I have to remove everything and break it down and put it back. Drives me nuts. I would like to add, though, I believe that your job is to do the recycling and that every box should be broken down by you. So every box that I break down is out of spite. And at some point, I am just... You definitely have a a different definition of urgency. Like the the, (laughs) the garbage in the recycling go out on Monday night. They need to be in there by Monday night. That's it. No. That's that is that's it. But I, but I let the record be stated <laughs> that there could be eleven boxes that are just big boxes in our entryway, not broken down for days. <laughs> days. There could also be eleven unopened boxes in our entryway for days. It's hard to keep track. No, no. This is this one isn't. So these are the things that we need to define with the minimum acceptable criteria. And divvy up because because the, they add up. And as we are welcoming our third child, the laundry may tip me over um, to a, I don't enjoy this anymore. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, which is the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the only pregnancy and postpartum fitness and nutrition app with more than 200 pregnancy and postpartum safe workouts. The app also includes a key nutrient to focus on every week. For example, in week 16, Juna recommends vitamin C because vitamin C supports healthy lung development and it boosts immunity and it lowers the risk of developing preeclampsia. From there, we give you delicious recipes that help you get that exact nutrient in your life both quickly and easily. Juna also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises as well as pelvic floor prep to keep things intact before and after labor. We also provide you daily tips to get you through each stage of your pregnancy and are constantly adding more to the experience. Lastly, every week there is a note from me that is relevant to the exact things you're experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears you may have as well as preventing gestational Google mania, the sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. You can find the app by searching Juna in the iOS app store or visiting juna.co. And the best part is when you enter your due date or baby's birthday for postpartum, the app will automatically place you exactly where you're supposed to be. As a Juna Women podcast listener, we are offering you your first 30 days free. This deal is only available through our website. Go to juna.co. And when you get to the credit card page, use coupon code JUNAPOD all in caps. Again, that is J-U-N-A-P-O-D, all in caps. Now, back to the show. One of Eve's key findings when researching her book was this idea of toxic time messages, that men's time is valued more than women's. The interesting thing here is how pervasive this was, but even more interesting was who was perpetrating the toxic time message. Women. Here's Eve. Women all over the country were saying things to me, well, my husband makes more money than me, so I'm going to do more domestic tasks. Well, even in the same job, men make more money. So that's a terrible losing argument for most women. Um, We choose professions. I choose philanthropy. My husband chose private equity, so that means I'm going to be doing domestic labor more for the rest of my life because I chose to benefit society with my day job. Um, Other women were saying to me, well, I'm wired differently. You know, I'm just, women are better multitaskers. You know, we're wired, you know, differently. So I went, Sarah, to the top neuroscientists in the world and said, are women wired differently? Are we better multitaskers? And the only other day I cried that I sobbed besides that blueberries day in this process 
was the day that I sat down with a neuroscientist, an old white man who looked at me when I asked him that question, are women better multitaskers? Are we wired differently? He looked at me and said, imagine Eve, we can convince half the population that they're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. Sarah, I'm telling you, not only was it a mic drop, but I, I started shaking and I left his office and it was like the world was, there was like a crack in the sidewalk and I was falling through it, you know, because I did believe that. Other women were saying things to me like, well, the time it takes me to tell my husband what to do, I might as well just do it myself. Um, so I had to go to the top behavioral economists in the world for them to debunk that that's a terrible argument for women. Um, of course, we want to teach people how to wipe asses and do dishes, our partners, because otherwise we're going to be doing it forever and not using our time for things that value in, that are valuable to us. And then finally, even women and men in the same jobs, two shipping supervisors, two colorectal surgeons, women were still saying things to me like, well, my husband needs so much more downtime than I do. Um, you know, he needs to unwind and I can find the time. Well, Sarah, unless we're fucking Albert Einstein, right? And we can re redo the space-time continuum. Sadly, there's no way to find time. But it was this pervasive, pervasive themes of women basically guarding men's time and saying that their time is not as valuable. And that's why ultimately Fair Play had to become a book because I'm here to tell your listeners that all time is created equal. That I want us all to imagine a world where we have only 24 hours in a day and we look at both men and women's time as equally valuable and that we should have an equal choice over how we use that day because that is not where we are right now. Okay, we've set the stage for fair play and the need for fair play, but what does it actually mean? What you're about to hear is just a small snippet of the information you'll find in the actual book. But this section with Eve is really the crux, the foundation of how to make things fair. And as she'll tell you, fair doesn't mean equal. I define fair as not equal and equal is not fair. So one of the big premises of fair play is that, and I think while the Wall Street Journal took my first op-ed because they liked this, I think, you know, maybe more conservative places, but this idea that I think 50-50 is the wrong equation. It is something I think this idea of 50-50 in the home has been holding women back, I think, for 100 years. Because what the hell does that even mean? How would you measure it? And all you're going to set yourself up for is dis disappointment and resentment. So instead, we focus on the solution. So I've been telling you a lot about the problem. But the solution is to stop focusing on 50-50 and whatever that means. And instead, you focus on ownership. When you focus on the successes like you would in an organization, like you would in a workplace, everything changes. When we treat our home as our most important organization, when we look at the home as a place where you are not, not waiting to be told what to do, Netflix calls it the rare responsible person. You pick up trash from the floor, you get context, not control to do your job. Apple calls it the directly responsible individual where you're in charge of a task from the conception planning to the overseeing of the execution. And the way I look at that is everything you need to really know about fair play and the solution, you can learn from the idea of mustard. That somebody in your house has to know your second son, Johnny, likes French's yellow mustard with his protein, otherwise he won't eat it. Then in project management, we call that conception. Then somebody has to monitor that mustard to see that it's running low. 
and put it on a grocery list for every other meal thing, you know, grocery you need for the week. That is organizational management. We call that planning. And then someone has to get their butt to the store to get that, purchase that yellow mustard. That is the stage, the organizational planning management, what we call execution. And that's in my 500 plus interviews where men were stepping in in opposite sex relationships. In opposite sex relationships, men were stepping in in execution. And that's a big problem because they're bringing home spicy Dijon every damn time, you know, the gross kind with the seeds. And we asked for French's yellow mustard. And then that's why fair play became a love letter to men ultimately, because I had so many men saying to me, I would do so much more in the home, but I don't like getting things wrong. And I'm just, I'm not getting anything right. And I had so many women say to me, Eve, how could you tell me to trust my husband with my living will when the dude can't even bring home the right type of mustard? And so as a mediator, we say the presenting problem is not the real problem, right? So this is not about mustard or blueberries. This is about trust. And how do we set ourselves up for the conversations and the systems we need to understand that we can trust in our partner to get things done reliably and well? That is what it is. You own the full mustard situation and I trust you. I trust you to do more. I don't give a shit what your 50-50 is. I care that you brought home the French's yellow mustard because you were in charge of groceries for the week and you did that reliably and well with care to a standard that we both can agree to. The way this actually works is to sit down and play the fair play game. There's 100 cards and on each card there's a topic. Let's say taking out the trash. You go over the card, create a minimum standard for getting that thing done. For the trash example, it goes out once a day or once every other day. But whatever it is, you both have to be on board. Then you assign one person, and that person then has ownership of that card. And that's where the magic is. When you assign ownership of the task and the standards are met, everyone is in a better place. As Eve tells you, these conversations are important to have, and some of them will take longer than others. Just make sure you're having them when emotions are low and cognition is high. Like over margaritas and tacos, and not at 3 a.m. when the baby is screaming. And so fair play, what you just said, gets me to be able to talk about exactly what fair play is which is a way to communicate about what is your why. And I'll explain. So I'm just like you. Seth understood ownership when we first started playing. He got that, you know, garbage has to be taken out. We have to put the liner back in, um, recycling and the bag, that it has to go out before the damn trash day because in LA it's more complicated than New York when you can just throw it down a chute and that's supposedly where we come from. He got the CPE, the Conception Planning and Execution. But what was still happening to me was I was his garbage shadow. So there would be recycling that was piling up. There would be a garbage, a banana peel that was peeking out over the garbage. And I would start having a complete panic attack. And I would follow him around the kitchen and I would open the door under the sink and hope he fell over it because he's tall, right? And then he would see the garbage bag. So he would take it out. That was was happening. And he said to me, Seth, at the time, this ownership's not working because you're my fucking garbage shadow. So like step the fuck off. Right. And so I said, but I can't. And so then I stopped and I said, okay, something is missing from the fair play system. And I got to really reflect on what do I do for my clients? And what I realized was I was missing an entire step that I do for their systems, which is starting with your why. And so I sat down with Seth when emotion was low and cognition is high, which I talk about a lot as a mediator, where you want to communicate when emotion is low and cognition is high. I was able to finally say to Seth, 
Yes, you know, my background was hectic. Yes, you know, I lived as a latchkey kid. But what you don't know is that we didn't even have a garbage can. And so we would have just a takeout bag that sat on a knob and garbage would spill out on the floor set. And we would have gar- cockroaches and water bugs everywhere, even meal bugs in my Rice Krispies that my mother tried to play off as Cocoa Krispies, but I knew they were bugs. Every time I see that banana peel, I feel like I'm seven again. I'm having a latchkey kid moment. I don't want to be that child who lived alone, who didn't know when her mom was coming home. And I'm feeling very triggered by garbage. And then Seth was able to say to me, again, because emotion was low, cognition was high. Eve, I don't give a shit about garbage. I had a housekeeper growing up. I lived on, I slept on Domino's pizza boxes in my fraternity. So what happens? What happens when you're so divergent in your values over something that has to get done every day? Well, A, we become the she fault and we just do it. Um, or, or you can come up with what Fair Play is all about is this idea of a minimum standard of care. And it works for our medical system. It works for our trillion dollar tort system, our, our legal system. What does a reasonable person do? And that changes by community. But Seth and I were finally able to have a conversation about what is reasonable. And for us, it became that garbage goes out once a day. I can't stalk them over it. Even if it's really packed, I can put things on the counter, but it's going to go out once a day and it will go out. He'll prioritize it like a work appointment. He'll put it in his calendar as long as I don't nag him over garbage. And it was a miracle, Sarah, because garbage started going out every day. And I could trust him that that was going to happen. There was a reliability in it. And it changed our marriage, that one card. Having that why conversation changed our marriage. And then I knew I was onto something. And then I started practicing with other couples. And their marriages were changing. And it was really beautiful. And now we have thousands of people playing. And I get to hear all their beautiful stories. Okay, that's all for today. Doing this podcast and these interviews with both Eve and Eric was a great reminder to me about the importance of having these conversations. With another baby joining our crew in a few weeks, this is only becoming more important. I'll be doing a home birth, and my midwife told me I won't be doing any housework or childcare for the older kids for at least 72 and ideally 96 hours. That's easy when you're in the hospital, but being at home, I'm going to make sure both Eric and I understand the things we're going to be taking ownership of and then trusting that he's got it handled while I'm taking care of the new baby. I hope you found this episode helpful, and I encourage you to grab a copy of the Fair Play book. I listened to the audiobook version while doing the laundry and cleaning the kitchen. Meta, I know. To get in touch with Eve, you can find her on Instagram at E-V-E-R-O-D-S-K-Y. You can also find her book on Instagram at Fair Play Life. If you have any questions, comments, or need some guidance during your trying to conceive journey, please email me at sarah at juna.co. On the next episode, we'll be talking with Cheryl Nelson Boyd, a financial planner who specializes in the expanding family. Cheryl and I talk about all the costs that go into pregnancy and a new baby. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening and see you next week.